Praise the Lord. You are listening to Scripture Unleashed. Hey, it's Anthony, and welcome back to Scripture Unleashed. I'm here as usual with Joe, Seth, and Jacob. But today we have a special guest joining us, Brother Steve Waldron, pastor of New Life Pentecostal Church of Albany, Georgia. Scripture Unleashed is a weekly podcast that accompanies the Bread Program distributed by the Pentecostal Publishing House in partnership with the UPCI Children's Ministry Department. In this episode, we're going through Exodus 28 through 40, Matthew 1 through 5, and Psalms 14 through 17. As a disclaimer, if your pastor teaches anything different than what you hear in this episode, be faithful to the shepherd that watches out for your soul and listen to your pastor. Just to start off, guys, we're just going to do an overview. Exodus 28, God is setting apart Aaron and his sons. They're being sanctified. They're being consecrated to the Lord. 28, 36 says, And thou shalt make a plate of pure gold and engrave upon it like the engravings of a signet, holiness to the Lord. Chapter 19 goes on further, the anointing of the priests, details of the offerings that are given. Chapter 30, Moses is asked to prepare the anointing oil. There's different spices, different things that are put into that. Chapter 31, what I like about this chapter is the Lord's already chosen the workmen, and he's basically announcing them to Moses. If you read that, there's uh, Zaleel, the son of Uri, Ahishamuk, if I'm saying that right, I'm probably not. The son of uh, Ahishamuk, it's uh, Aholiab. I'm positive I'm not saying that one right. God has chosen these men for their talents, for their ability, and he's got a plan for them. Chapter 32, a lot of action in this chapter. The people are demanding an idol. They're catering to their own carnality after basically their leadership doesn't meet their expectations. Moses intercedes for Israel. There's of course, the massacre of the idolaters. There is judgment pronounced on wickedness. People are plagued. Chapter 33, Moses asked to see God. There's intimacy there. And then just let's go to chapter 34. Brother Jacob, would you go over the overview of that? Yeah, uh, in chapter 34, we see right after Moses asks to see God, that God then commands him to remake the tables that he had broken. When he came down from Mount Sinai, he shattered these tables of stone that God had written the Ten Commandments on because they had broken covenant with God. And so he breaks the tables. God commands him to remake the tables. And now Moses heads back up Mount Sinai. The Lord descends upon Mount Sinai, we see in this chapter, and the name of the Lord is given. Moses then pleads with God and asks him to go with us. God says that he will go. And Moses sees, as the Bible says, God's hinder parts. And Moses' face begins to shine after seeing the Lord. Uh, chapter 35, he gives a call to give to the people, and preparations for the tabernacle are now being made. Moses then calls out those men that God had chosen to lead the work. And in chapter 36, we begin to see the work begin. Uh, the people end up bringing too much stuff. You know, their willingness to give was far more than what was needed. Many items were made during this chapter. Chapter 37 gives us into more specifics. We see that the ark is being made. We see the table of showbread made. We see the candlestick made of incense is made. We see that the anointing oil and the incense themselves are being mixed at this time. In chapter 38, continuing on building part of the tabernacle, we see that the altar of sacrifice is now made. We see that the brazen laver is made. One thing interesting with the brazen laver, there's no dimensions given to it. It is made with the looking glasses or the mirrors of the women that are outside of the court. The outer court walls are made at the end of this chapter. And then in chapter 39, Aaron's garments are made. 
everything is then brought to Moses, and Moses begins the construction of the tabernacle. Brother Joe. All right. And then we see in chapter 40 of Exodus, um, again, some instruction for Moses. The Lord speaks to Moses, talks to him about the first day of the month, uh, what he's supposed to do, set up the tabernacle. The tabernacle set up in Exodus chapter 40. They anoint the tabernacle. They anoint Aaron and his sons. Basically, they begin operation in it. They mm -hmm. do some sacrifices. The Lord gives Moses the final instructions. Moses applies the final touches. The tabernacle begins its operation. And when it did, there was a cloud that came down, covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle by day, and fire was on it by night. If the cloud wasn't taken up on a day, they stayed right there. They didn't travel any. But if it lifted up, they went on with their journey. Jumping into Matthew chapter 1, uh, we see the, uh, the generations from Abraham, who God called out of his land to go to a land where he didn't know. Um, the generations from Abraham to Jesus are 42 generations, and I'm not going to read all those. Um, okay. For sake of time, and also I don't know if I could pronounce all of them. There's some, <laughs> you have to listen to it just about <laughs> in order to... Uh, in order to pronounce them. So there was 42 generations from Abraham to Jesus. The angel of the Lord uh, came to Mary before as she was espoused, the Bible says, or I guess you could say engaged at this point. Mm -hmm. She was had not yet been with a man. The angel of the Lord came to her and said that she was going to have a child. And of course, you, you would imagine Joseph, who was going to marry her, has, has got some questions. I mean, I, I sure would have, I suppose, if you're going to marry this lady and, and she tells you that she's with child that's going to raise some questions but uh while, while joseph was thinking on these things the bible says that an angel of the lord came to joseph as well and explained to him that the child that that she has is conceived of the holy ghost and, and she shall bring forth a son and you're going to call his name jesus and when this son was born he was born of a virgin just like the prophet said he would i believe it's in isaiah chapter 7 verse 14, just like the prophet said, and they called his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And that's who Jesus is. The Bible says that he knew her not till she brought forth her firstborn son. They called his name Jesus. Going on into Matthew chapter 2, after Jesus is born, King Herod, I don't, he becomes troubled about Jesus. He must have felt threatened or mm -hmm. something. He became troubled with Jesus. He hears about some wise men that are going to try to find Jesus. And he tells them that when they come back, you got to tell tell me where, where Jesus is. I want to go see him. But God warns these wise men in a dream. He warns them not to go back. And after this happened, Herod then issues a new bill uh, that every child in that region under the age of two years old is to be killed. And I mean, can you imagine, you know, one of our politicians issued something? That's a big deal. We just read over that, but why that? You know, what a what a terrible thing. Tragic. That, yeah, that's just very tragic. When when Herod issued that that bill, Joseph and Mary fled to Egypt, which is interesting because it says that the prophecy might be fulfilled uh, that out of Egypt have I called my son. Yeah. That's interesting if you look at where that prophecy is found. We won't go into all that, but it is interesting to me. But anyway, so after, after Herod dies, Joseph and Mary move back to Israel. But Joseph kind of gets a bad feeling about Herod's son, who is now reigning in his stead. Archelaus, I believe is his name. And God confirms his feeling in a dream, and, and they move to Nazareth, which was 
not under his jurisdiction, I guess. Matthew chapter 3, we read of John the Baptist. He's preaching repentance. He is baptizing people in the Jordan River. He's preparing the way of the Lord. We see John the Baptist tells them, Verily I baptize you unto the baptism of repentance. But he says, There is one coming after me uh, who's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. Matthew chapter 3, Jesus shows up to be baptized by John. John, of course, doesn't want to do it. He doesn't feel worthy to baptize him, but he does baptize him. The Bible says that the Spirit of God descended like a dove. They heard a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Going into Matthew chapter 4, right after his baptism, Jesus is led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil, the Bible says. And he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And he was afterward hungered. I guess he probably was hungry if he fasted <laughs> yeah. for 40 days and 40 yeah, nights. But Jesus resists the temptation that's brought before him. But Jesus, of course, combats him with the written word. He, he says, it is written. It mm-hmm. is written. Jesus then begins his ministry, and the Bible says that he uh, also preached repentance. seems like repentance was kind of a big deal in the yeah, Bible. Right. And so yeah. Jesus began to preach Shocking. repentance as well. And he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus begins calling his disciples. He calls Peter, Andrew, James. And he goes, starts going through the synagogues, uh, to the synagogues. He's teaching people, healing people. And he becomes quite famous, actually. And the Bible says that there was a great uh, multitudes of people that, that began following Jesus. And with that, Brother Seth, are you going to give us an overview of chapter 5? Yes, Matthew chapter 5 and also Psalms 14, 15, 16, and 17. But in Matthew 5, uh, some people call them the Beatitudes or the Beautiful Attitudes. Uh, The Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit. Blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. That type thing. Also, Jesus gets into some teaching here in Matthew chapter 5 and very... Obviously, it's very good. It's from Jesus, but it's, you know, he, he's, he's, he's showing us, you know, the salt of the earth, about verse 13, the salt of the earth. You know, we're a light of the world. This is what followers of God are going to be. Really good stuff in Matthew 5. You could spend weeks and weeks on Matthew 5 alone, you know, and then Jesus gets into teachings on murder and anger. You know, don't call anybody a fool or in the original language, don't, don't call him an empty headed person you know don't don't call him a dunderhead don't insult people don't call him an idiot. um yeah. yeah don't call him an idiot yeah exactly you know all these things and and uh, just the 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 heart of it and and the heart of of christianity here matthew 5 6 and 7 but only five this week you know just great teaching some of the some of the hardest teaching i think i think this stuff right here far outweighs the law uh, as far as the difficulty of it, because it's really down to your character as a person. Mm-hmm. Or if you, you know, commit adultery, but if you look on a woman to lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Teachings on divorce, very good stuff here. Uh, teaching on oaths, I love it. You know, don't swear by anything, but let your yay be yay, your nay be nay. Anything else past that, besides your word, is uh, is evil. Is you know whatever else is of more than that cometh. Whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Anything past just saying this is what it is, yes and no. Teachings on forgiveness towards the end of Matthew chapter 5. You know, if somebody smites you on the right cheek or hits you on the cheek, give them the other one also. You know, if any man sues you at the law and takes away your coat, let him have your cloak also. I mean, just just 
just the heart of Christian teaching is what we get into in Christian living. The end of Matthew chapter 5, teaching on loving one's enemies. Oh, so, I mean, such powerful stuff in Matthew chapter 5. You know, uh, he's challenging humanity. I believe all of Matthew 5 um, really goes against the grain of humanity, all of humanity. Right. You know, verse 46, we'll wrap it up here with uh, Matthew 5. Uh, but verse 46, for if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> don't even the publicans the same? Don't, the you know, like numbers. really, you know, like challenging you to love those who can't return it. But then verse 48, he ends Matthew 5, 48. Be therefore perfect as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. He's challenging us to love perfectly. Right. Then jumping over quickly to Psalm chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17. Uh, some great teaching here as well. Obviously, it's the scriptures, the word of God. Okay. Um, man is corrupt. Psalm 14. David starts his psalm out. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Mm-hmm. So they are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. Psalm 15. Quickly, those who abide in God's uh, tabernacle. You know, if you just read through that, uh, there's only about five verses there. Very quick psalm, but a lot to uh, unpack if you want to there. Uh, psalm 16. God preserves his people. I love this chapter. Very powerful. Starts out, preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. Preserve me, O God. Moving on down. Psalm uh, 16, verse 4. Their sorrow should be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor to take up their names in to my lips. That really stuck out to me a few weeks ago. Um, Exodus 23 and 13, you know, the, the names of these false gods were not even to be on their lips. And here the psalmist writes, you know, in the their names are not even going to be on my lips. For in thee do I put my trust. You know, this is right. talking to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Psalm 16, 8. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Obviously, the Lord is not at the right hand of the psalmist in the sense that he's sitting right beside him. But he is, uh, you know, he is strengthened by the Lord. He's at his right hand. I'm not going to be moved. Verse 9. My flesh shall also rest in hope. Verse 11. Thou will show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. And at thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Um, and then Psalm 17 is a plea for God's protection. If you read through there, David's obviously being, we say, persecuted to some extent. And uh, he's just, he's praying for God's protection. You know, look, verse 6, incline, the second part of that, incline thine ear unto me and hear my speech. Uh, verse 7, show thy marvelous loving kindness, O thou that savest by thy, here we go again, right hand, them which put their trust in thee from those that rise up against them. And then uh, kind of separating here, verse 13, not separating, but a, a kind of a change of direction in the prayer, um, kind of a, you know, cast down this this wicked person, whoever's chasing, deliver my soul from the wicked, which is thy sword, from men which are uh, thy hand, O Lord, from men of the world, which have their portion in this life, and whose belly thou fillest with thy hid treasure. And within the end of Psalm 17, verse 15, as for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. But with that, we're going to go to a break. We'll catch you on the other side of the break. Hey, welcome back to Scripture Unleashed. Today we're going to do just a little bit of digging into Exodus chapter 32. Guys, what's your thoughts and take on Exodus 32? One thing that I notice here in, in verse 1, which I see that you also have something in here, Anthony. Israel's waiting for Moses leads them into idolatry. Yeah. And then we see here in verse 2 that the spoils of Egypt that they had taken was supposed to be a gift from God. It was supposed to be their currency. Mm. But they were using it in creating their idols. We were talking about this when we were discussing this episode that sometimes we can take what we have been blessed with. You know, we've 
focus here on money in this very thing, mm -hmm. and we can take that and turn it into a curse. We turn it into an idol. We turn it into something that we pursue after, even though it's, it was a blessing from God, our job or our family even, or mm -hmm. you know anything that we have, we can turn it into an idol by pursuing it. Far. Yeah. 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 Right. No, that's that's really good. I you know um, just going along with that about just pursuing after it. And, you know, of course, they made an idol here, but Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, the end of that verse is really interesting to me. It starts off, mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Then they list off a whole bunch of fornication, uncleanness, and all that, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Mm -hmm. And what do you guys think in America? Is there a lot of covetousness? It's really taught even just in society just to yeah, go can. after it. And here in North Dakota, there's so much opportunity I mean, you can really go places if you want to in, uh, you know, of course, jobs, business. Mm -hmm. But just that constant wanting more, uh, you know, just never satisfied yeah. with what we have. So, yeah. uh, you know, content, uh, godliness with contentment is great gain. But that covetousness, which is idolatry, uh, that's setting up an idol. And so what Jacob said, you know, about sometimes our blessing, God blesses us with so much but you know we don't want to take that and turn it into an idol or yeah. thing that god has yeah, blessed right. us with right turn it into an idol or just uh, I think that's why it's so important to, to have that attitude of thanksgiving when you have that attitude of thanksgiving you're not you're not always looking for what's next you're just appreciating what you have what god has given yeah. you right and recognizing that god has blessed me yeah. right. with this you know yeah, th this that brings glory to god right yeah. right right Absolutely. Sure. That's good. In verse 1, it says, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods, which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we know not that what has become of him. It's kind of this, this uh, again, you know, he delayed. Kind yeah. of, and we live in that, that microwave society now. Mm -hmm. You know, I need an yeah. answer from God. Right, right now, now yeah, you right. know, whatever. They had they had the right intent. They wanted to worship something, but <laughs> it wasn't, you know, it wasn't God, the yeah. true God, you yeah. know. Okay, so I hope my mom never hears this podcast, but <laughs> when I left the Amish community when I was 18 years old, I came to North Dakota, and my mom uh, told my dad, well, we just need to go get Joe before he gets into that church out there. And uh, dad said, well, he's 18 years old. What, we can't do anything with him. We're just going to have to pray. And mom said, yeah, but God's not doing anything. Let's go get him. <laughs> and so, <laughs> God's, not doing, God's not answering our prayer. You know, there's some things that's that we just got to wait on God. And, yeah. and, of course, that that's a whole different deal there. But yeah. we got to wait on God sometimes and yeah. just not you know, go off on some weird thing because God's not answering what we... Yeah, it's mm -hmm. important to note that God's ways are so much higher than our ways. Right. Yeah. So when just because we're not getting our way doesn't mean God's not performing a work. Yeah, true. What gets me about this whole episode is, you know, there's a devouring flame on top of Sinai. There's a pillar of cloud by day, pillar of cloud by night. Every morning they're walking up and picking up miracle bread. And they're just like, oh, I wonder where God is. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah isn't true. that something? Yeah. That is so you find that in the church. Yeah. yeah. True. <laughs> true. We see here that Aaron and her, which we talked about last week, were were the elders that upheld their mm -hmm. pastor's mm -hmm. arms, so to speak. They're put in charge. They're put in charge in Exodus 24, 14, when Moses goes up to Sinai. Right. We see Aaron, and, and apparently her, because 
uh, we don't see him oppose Aaron, but he they give in to the whims of the people instead of holding fast to the teachings of Moses. I don't know, he was what? He was up there, it says 40 days and 40 nights the first time. So he's up there, and within those 40 days, they turn away from God. And this is just points out that it's so important that our elders need to stand with their pastor. Mm -hmm. They need to uphold what it is that their pastor teaches and make Mm -hmm. sure that us younger men abide by that, that we hold true to it. When the pastor's gone for whatever reason, that they they don't let the church just run amok and do what it wants, but they they hold true to what is good. What is good. Right. I remember um, Pastor Simons did a deal one time in our, I think it was at a district event. What does a pastor expect from the local ministry or from, from the from the ministers of his mm. church? And one of the things he brought out is really good is make sure you're speaking the same language as the pastor. Yes. Make sure you got yes. the same, Amen. that you're all going in the same okay. direction. Yeah. That's you what know. I was going to comment on. You right. Know, that, that disconnect between the pastor and the congregation, when there's a disconnect, that's when rebellion is fueled. Yeah. Right. There's got to be ministry. There's got to be those people that are yeah. lifting up the hands of that pastor, yeah. and they're connecting the pastor's vision, which is ultimately God's vision, to the rest of the people. Yeah. You know, and that happens by example. That happens in daily conversation. Right. That happens in, you know, just coming in, going out, just, right. just being regular people. Yeah, and, and living what the pastor's right. preaching too, yeah. and yeah, know, just, which that that also points out though that it is also on the pastor to to make sure to communicate what his vision is sure. to his elders, to those people that are under him, so that they can effectively portray that vision also to their people. Right. Let's go ahead and go to chapter thirty-three. Just a powerful chapter. Can well, I, I say something else about thirty-two? Yeah, go ahead. Sure, Walter. Of course. Yeah. but thirty-two twelve is one of the most amazing scriptures to me. He's got Moses talking to God. Mm-hmm. And at the end, he says, Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. And then in verse 14, And the Lord repented of the evil which he huh. thought to do mm-hmm. unto this people. Yeah. Wow. And so you've got Moses telling God to repent. <laughs> God, yeah. good point. I just wanted to bring that out. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. I, Praise God. I remember the first time I ever heard Brother Steve Cole preach that. He's at our church, and I'm just like, I never saw that. Yeah. (laughs) Without wrath or doubting, you know, or just totally doubt everything and everything kind of helps sift truth. And I'm like, it's there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There was another thing that really popped out to me in chapter 32, verse 32 and 33. That little dash after the word sin there. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, When I studied into it, it... It was kind of like a break or a change of thought. And it seems like Moses appears to start to bargain with God. He says, you know, yet now if thou wilt forgive their sin. And then he realizes, like, this is just my mind going. He realizes that he's got nothing to offer. He's not got nothing to bargain with. And so then he changes his course. He changes his thought. And he says, and if not, blot me, I pray thee out of the book which Mm -hmm. thou hast written. Kill me instead. He has that same kind of mindset, though he makes a formal offer is the same kind of mindset that Paul has when he says that he would rather be accursed from Christ for his people. There's some that, that believe that word with should be as in like accursed like Christ was, you know, to be crucified or to be put to death physically for them, not necessarily to be rendered uh, away from Christ. But, you know, really this is something that we we ought to have for the people in our communities, this, this burden that says, you know, God, I would rather die than see my city... Mm-hmm lost 
Okay, let's go to Exodus chapter 33. You know, I was reading through Exodus 33. The whole chapter is just powerful. Like, it just stuck right. out chunk after chunk of the scriptures here in Exodus yeah. 33. And, you know, the uh, the subtitle here in my Bible at the beginning of 33 is Israel to resume their journey. And uh, you start verse 1, And the Lord said unto Moses, Depart, go up hence, thou and the people which thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt, unto the land which I swear unto Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying unto thy seed, Will I give it? So God's saying, go to this land that I told you you're going to have. And, uh, and he says, I will send an angel before thee. And he says, I'm going to drive out all these foreign, uh, these, right. these, these nations that are inhabiting this. And he says in the verse 3, for I will not go up in the midst of thee, for thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. Mm-hmm. And I just, you know, it just sticks out to me. Mm-hmm. You know, God's like, I ain't going. You know, I'm not going. You're 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 stubborn. You're not listening. You're not obedient. No, no, no. I'm not going with you. And it's you know, it's, we have a holy God. He's not going to be involved in an unholy or a, you know, mm-hmm. the people who go against him. He's not going to no. I'm not going to do it. And then verse four, the people, uh, <laughs> when the people heard these uh, evil tidings, they mourned. No kidding. Like God's yeah, not going with right. us. You know, like yeah. Yeah, yeah, like that's hell. You know, you'll never. You'll never yeah. experience the presence of God. Not only that, but you read a little further down, and the tabernacle is pitched outside of the camp. Yeah. My understanding, usually it was right in the middle of the camp. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, God's like, I'm out. You know, I'm just out. You know? <laughs> and, uh, I mean, a little little ghetto language there, but yeah. I'm out. You know, yeah. Peace. You know, yeah. I'm out. And he, he gets outside the camp. Moses goes out and, uh, and talks to the Lord, and it's very interesting. Verse 11, the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a face man speaking unto his friend. Yeah. yeah. It's powerful. You yeah, know, Moses awesome. just had a position with God that was just incredible. Yeah. And uh, Moses then he prays for God's presence. Um, and guess what? You know, God he uh, he repented. Praise the Lord. <laughs> you know, he turned back from how you know he. I'm not going with you now, Moses. Lord, please, you know, please go with. He kind of. I don't want to say he talks sense into God. Can he? Can he say that? That doesn't sound right. But he's like, Lord, you know, these are you know these are these are your people. You know, um, you know, I've, if I have found grace in your sight, you know, you know. Please go with us. You know, mm-hmm. go with us. And so God, in verse 14, my presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. What a beautiful statement. Right. And he said unto him, if thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. You know, don't even let us leave this spot. You know, don't even go, you know, don't let us move from here if you're not going with us. You know, right. Basically, that's the truth in our life, you know, without the, the presence yeah. and the Spirit of God. This life is pointless without the presence of God, without mm-hmm. the Spirit of God in us. And the Spirit of God. That's how we're separated from everybody else on this earth. And in in 17, very interesting, the Lord said to Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight. I know thee by name. He's talking directly to Moses here. Mm -hmm. I know you. You know (laughs) And I know the rest of them, but I know you. You know, Moses uh, taking advantage here maybe towards the end of 32 of his position with God. I want to see you, the Lord, uh, allows that to happen in a way. So just, I mean, just powerful, you know, just... Just all that stuck out to me. Anybody else there? God says there in verse 20, he says, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. I hear people are like, oh, well, that contradicts because, you know, you have Isaiah who sees the Lord high and lifted up. You have um, the elders of Israel when they go up to Mount Sinai. Moses and Aaron and two others that are by name and then 70 of Israel, they go up and the Bible says, and they saw God. I, th- I believe here, though, that it's the fact that you cannot see his face. That is what will kill you. Because Moses is able to see his hinder parts and not die. Isaiah sees him high and lifted up. It doesn't say, recall that he sees his face. The elders of Israel only see his feet, as it were, because it says that they see, as it were, under him, as it were, sapphire, and his body is clearness. But it's that 
you know, you cannot see my face. I don't know, that just kind of popped out to me. Otherwise, how did the rest of these men live? Mm-hmm. They didn't see his face. You know, in uh, verses 5 and 6, you know, being holiness Pentecostals, obviously, mm-hmm. for the Lord had said unto Moses, saying to the children of Israel, you're a stiff-necked people. I will come up into the midst of thee in a moment and consume thee. Therefore, now put off thy ornaments, yep, my jewelry, jewelry from yep. thee, that I may know what to do unto thee. And the children of Israel strip, strip themselves of their ornaments by the Mount Horeb. So it was like, you know, taking off your jewelry was yep. something that God wanted before right. he could talk to them. Yeah, and that. That jewelry was what they got from Egypt, Egypt when they took that's it out. Exactly right. Yeah. Also, so often, verse twelve, you know, you find the concept, the last phrase, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Verse thirteen. Now, therefore, I pray thee, if I found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight. And then verse fourteen, and he said, My presence shall go with thee; I will give thee rest. So the Holy Ghost rest. And uh, the Holy Spirit is the grace of God. And a lot of people say the, you know, the concept of grace is not in the Old Testament, but it really is. Mm-hmm. Right. Seen yeah. Here, verse 16, you know, for wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight because of the presence of God. So the Spirit of God receiving the Holy Ghost is, is grace. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight. In verse 23, many people think that when he saw his hinder parts, that's when Moses saw the creation and knew how to write the book of Genesis and things. Mm. That's a totally different discussion because people are really split on that. We're going to jump over to Matthew chapter 3, and we're going to dig deep in there. Who wants to start us off? There's a lot of, uh, this is actually a scripture that is often used by Trinitarian, uh, the Trinitarian doctrine, um, verses 16 and 17. It says, And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. One thing that needs to be pointed out is that the one that the heavens were opened unto him and he saw the Spirit of God was John the Baptist. Because it was given a sign to him, and we see that in John chapter 1, verse 32. Anybody got things on that? My hands hand up, yeah. Up. <laughs> uh, so Deuteronomy 6 and 4, we're here, Israel, yeah. the Lord our God is yeah. one Lord. Right. That's a foundational statement. Yep. Scripture to the Jews, the Shema, all this, yep. you know. You know, then you have scriptures also. You have to take all scripture within context. And then also all scripture is interpreted by scripture. Right. Um, and so you have Colossians 1.19, you know, please the Father in him, Jesus Christ, all the fullness should dwell. Colossians 2.9, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily mm-hmm. uh, in Jesus Christ. They're explaining, you know, great is the mystery of godliness. God himself was manifest in the flesh, or he was revealed to right. us in the flesh. Um, John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. God is by Himself, all alone. Isaiah 44 and 24 created it all by Himself. Right. And then 2 Corinthians 5:19, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself. So we have one God. 1 Corinthians 8:6. Now to us there is but one God, and it says it's the Father. Um, so we have one God, and He is in Christ Jesus, reconciling the world to Himself. The Father is in the Son, reconciling the world to Himself. We take that, we apply that here. In Matthew, um, and then also there's a, a bodily, you know, you know, this the Holy Spirit. It seems like a dove. It's it's a 
you know, notice it doesn't say the person of the Holy Spirit, because that would be unscriptural. Uh, but there is a some kind of visible manifestation God allows so that, again, um, out of John one thirty three, John the Baptist could see that this was the anointed one, the Christ. Mm. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. Are we head in the right direction? And and also, too, you know, we said we're going to explain that from a oneness perspective. Ooh. I would say <laughs> explain that from an Old Testament view of God perspective. Yes. Maybe, you know, this mm. is... Uh, the oneness perspective is the biblical perspective of God. Um, I mean, I, I think over a hundred times God's referenced in the Old Testament as the Holy One or the Holy One of Israel. So explaining it where this is in sync uh, with, uh, with the rest of the Bible. We don't have two separate gods here, uh, but like Seth said, God is omnipresent in Jesus. Uh, the fullness of the God that dwelleth bodily in Jesus. You know, when we say explaining it from a oneness perspective, we're called oneness apostolics or oneness Pentecostals, maybe. But it's a we're taking the Old Testament and uh, applying that to the New Testament, and that's what you come up with: one God who manifests Himself in flesh. Another scripture people miss sometimes is John five thirty seven, Jesus talking, and the Father Himself, which hath sent me, hath borne witness of me. That's obviously talking about it, the baptism. This is my beloved son, mm-hmm. in whom, in whom I'm well pleased. Mm. And then he says this, because mm. you made the great point that it was to John the Baptist. He says, ye have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. Mm. Mm. It's very clear he's referencing the spirit mm-hmm. as yeah. the father. He says there in 537, the father himself which hath sent me, hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice, nor seen his shape. Hmm. It's the very same terminology as the dove. He came yeah, the shape right. of the dove. So it's, it's extremely clear that the shape is the Father, and not a separate personage in the Godhead. Right. right. Yeah, that, that, is, good. that is good. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Now there's actually what about three temptations that we kind of want to highlight in this chapter, the lust of the flesh, lust of the pride, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Why don't you guys go ahead and kick it off? If you look in verse 3, and when the tempter, I love that it doesn't just call him, you know, Satan, but when the tempter came to him, he said, "If thou be the son of God, command these stones to be made bread." This is dirty. This is like dirty fighting here. You know, <laughs> verse 2 he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights. He was afterward and hungered. Yeah, Jesus was hungry here. You know, mm-hmm. The first temptation is, is make these rocks, uh, bread, yeah, yeah. these stones, yeah, make mm-hmm. them bread. That's just... Right. I did want to say, too, they say basically about 40 days, your body eats stored fat, and at the 40th day of the fast, the body begins to eat muscle tissue and stuff. So there's an intense hunger that comes after 40 days of fasting. Wow. Well. That's... Hmm referring to wow and that's uh that's dirty <laughs> that's, that's, yeah and jesus uh he resists him and i heard uh, i heard it preach once and described but he resists him with these uh these old testament scriptures that's what they had you know mm-hmm. these boring old testament scriptures <laughs> it is written men shall a man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of god and so this is a this is a uh, uh, Satan is appealing to, or the tempter here is appealing to, uh, what his flesh. Mm-hmm. His flesh is hungry. It's, it's obviously, you know, in a sense, weak. The flesh yeah. is weak. You know, jumping down 
um, verse 6, uh, verse 5, then, then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. And then he goes on to uh, quote scripture, For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And again, Jesus fights him off with or resists him with scripture. Mm -hmm. uh, Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. This is a another a direct appeal to pride, I would believe, if thou be the Son of God, if you're really who you say you are, or if you're really what everyone's touting you to be, or if you're really something, just go ahead, jump off, and show us all who you are. That's kind of how I take that. Verse 8, again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them. So what did he, he showed him all the kingdoms of the world, and you know, I noticed this, this is kind of interesting too, I heard it heard it once uh, by a really splendid scholar um actually it was me but um <laughs> I'm kidding. um you know you notice like jesus here is not really like he realizes you know i know he realized he's he's god in the flesh he's the son of god mm -hmm. um in his humanity but um you know satan's showing him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them Mm -hmm. Jesus' ministry was not exactly glorious on earth. Mm -hmm. Like, it was mm -hmm. filled with power and authority and all that, because he was God, obviously. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was not like, you know, imagine Satan showing you this kingdom over here, and this king is uh, being worshipped or being bowed down to by his subjects and just reigning with ultimate, you know, and everybody respects him and gives him the mm -hmm. credit, you know, and and uh, Satan's showing him, look, look, you know, look at all the glory they have. Man, I'm kind of, you know, embellishing yeah. mm -hmm. it a little bit, but maybe... You know, he says, you know, he shows them the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And he, you know, if you, and he says unto them, if all these things will I give thee, if thou will fall down and worship me. And we know that Satan did have control. You know, the uh, was it Second uh, Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this world, lowercase g. You know, he's the God of this world. And he's running the kingdoms under the ultimate authority of God himself. But, um, you know, so he's appealing to, uh, the lust of his eyes. And so what we're referencing is 1 John 2, 15 through 17. And uh, the, uh, you know, John writes, he says, uh, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And so uh, Jesus obviously knew he had a purpose, and he had to um, obey the will of the Lord, of, of the Father, and uh, and do these things. And so he resisted Satan. And I think it's a practical application for us. Satan doesn't come as the ugliest, worst thing usually. He comes as something very attractive, something very appealing to our flesh, to mm -hmm. our eyes, to our pride. Um, and you, I think you'll see this... Um, we talked about it in Genesis, you know, uh, Satan came to Eve, yeah. he appealed to her pride, he appealed to her eyes, yeah, her flesh. He hasn't, he hasn't, he hasn't changed, changed. He hasn't right. changed his mm -hmm. tactics, you know, and that's, yeah. that's yeah. the reason why we can't change our, our way of fighting against it. It's yeah. always, you know, it is written, you know. It um, works. You know, that's the, that's the only way that we've seen that fights yeah. against that temptation is, is to quote the word of God, to, you know, yeah. verbally yeah. say it out loud, to mean it. Right. Um. You know, Paul writes. You know that we're not we're not ignorant of his devices. Well, it's because he's only used the same things over and over and over again. You know, he's got no new tricks. You know, I mean, it, yeah. 
Yeah, it's the it comes same in stuff. different forms, maybe. It comes in different forms, but it's always based on the same thing. Every sin that you have comes down to those three things. The lust of the eyes, the pride of life, you know, uh, the lust of the flesh. It's always those three that it boils down to. Right, right. and that, not. I mean, I'm going to throw this in here. That's pretty much what America is running on right now, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Mm-hmm. It's all about... You know, we were talking about a little bit uh, a little bit ago with contentment. Yeah. You know, yeah. oh, i got to have this, you know, right, yeah. and like this uh, um, two-slam Hollywood and the media, you know, it's uh, it's always, they're always promoting something you don't have as it's better. Yeah. You right. know, and it makes you discontent or uncontent, however you want to say that. And it appeals to your, your eye, appeals to your flesh, appeals to your pride. Oh, yeah. what you have or what you don't have that your neighbors do or, you know, whoever. And then also James 4, 7. Um, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee he from will flee. you. Yeah. we got to be submitted to God to resist the devil, and he yes. will flee from us. Yes. Right. And, uh, you know, we, we, we're not going to, we can quote scripture, but we got to be submitted to God. we got to be yeah, obe- sure. obedient yes. to the scripture. we got to be submitted to God. I was going to say, too, in verse 6, how Satan removes scripture, you know, when he's quoting yeah. Psalm mm-hmm. 91. For it's written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee. To keep thee in all thy ways, that means as you're going about your business, he takes that out yeah. to try to put a temptation in their, in their hand. So he still removes scriptures, you know. Yeah, yeah that's, that's the same thing he does to Eve. He, you know, he, he causes her to question the word of God right. by, by twisting it. And, you know, that's what he'll do every time. Right. Again, his devices haven't changed. I was right. going to say, too, some people see like a... A Semitic double entendre. It's a Semiticism that uh, when Jesus says, "Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God," mm-hmm. you know, like you're tempting. I'm the Lord yeah. God. You're tempting yeah. me. And then again, uh, "Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and Him only shalt thou serve." So he's like, you know, I'm the Lord God. Yeah. You know, yeah. you should serve me. So yeah, <laughs> some Semitic double entendres there too. One thing I also know is um, it's not in Matthew 4, it's in one of the other Gospels, but it says that the, the devil leaveth him for a season. This isn't the only time that the devil tries to tempt Christ. Now, we don't see the other times. Actually, I think one time that we do see it is when Peter tells him, you, you, you will not die, I won't let it happen, and Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. Right. Yeah. That, that Satan was using Peter at this moment to tempt Christ to not go to the, cruci- you know, not go to the cross, mm-hmm. basically. Maybe that's another point of right. temptation for Christ, but he—it wasn't a one-and-done thing. It was—he kept coming after him. He kept coming after him. Well, and some people to go further on that point is in Luke four two. It says, "Being forty days tempted of the devil," mm-hmm. and in those days, so we come to the climax of three temptations yeah. where he's eventually vanquished. Yeah. But he was tempted the entire 40 yeah. days mm-hmm. as well. But mm. it's just unwritten mm-hmm. what those temptations yeah. are. Yeah. yeah. And all like manner as we are. Yeah. Knowing our infirmities. Our right. Priest. But there's power in knowing the word of God. Yes. Um, John eight thirty two, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Yeah. It's not good enough that you heard the truth. Mm. It's not good enough that uh, you know somebody who knows the truth. That's good. But ye shall know the truth. Right. If you have, if you know truth, yeah. you have power. He's he's the father of lies. Right. He's a liar. If you know the truth, where's his power? Right. There is no power. Yeah. Right. That's there is no right power. Um, 
really quick, we're going to go ahead and jump over to Psalms 14. There Fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. That's right. I kind of, I kind of got into it a little bit on our on our intro, and um, but yeah, you know Psalm 14, one the fool said in his heart, you know, there is no God, and then it describes them. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. And so he didn't even say it out loud. You know, it seemed like the fool said in his heart, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. there is no God, and then. What is the results of that? They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There's none that doeth good. You know, and this is, I mean, you just read through all of Psalm 14 here. But anyways, you know, Psalm 14, 1 is, you know, by itself is just, is is incredible. You know, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, uh, this type thing. So, you know, like what's in your heart is is eventually going to come out, not only through your mouth, but also Mm -hmm. through your actions and, and your lifestyle and that type thing. And I think it's very relevant today. We have a society who's corrupt, doing abominable works, mm-hmm. yeah. um, you know, with... Yeah, your fruit. You know, yeah, absolutely, yeah. 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 And we yeah. have just, you know, we're, we're in, a, in a, a society where, where um, how would you say it? You know, we're just just godless. I mean, people are becoming very, very secular, very godless, mm-hmm. and, yeah. uh, and and teaching, you know, there's, there, no, you know, there's no God. You know, you make up your own meaning to life. You make up right. your own there's way. There's no fear of God, and yes. that's the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom. Without the fear of God, you're a fool. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And this, uh, you know, and then it's no wonder they're corrupt and they're yeah. doing abominable work. You know, if there's no God, there's no morality. There's no, there's no, you know, no truth, no, um, no absolutes. You know, you just make up whatever. You know, and then yeah. we all either agree with it or we don't agree with it, and um, and then, right. Uh, on, on, Joe. Yeah. You know, and th- th- what do you expect from a society that that uh, you know, just really preach in our school system and, and so on, just totally removed God from from everything and taught that there is no absolute truth, it's your way, um, you know, that's uh, the only thing that's that's absolute is that there is no absolute and, you know, just crazy insanity really is what it is. But what do you expect when these people grow up and say, oh, there's no God, I can do whatever I want, I can do whatever I feel like. There's school shootings, there's no value of human life at all yeah. and you could I mean abortion um, but you know there's just no like Seth said no morality mm-hmm. uh, there's no restrictions at the, if there's no God and that is what um, you know God is just completely removed in, in a lot of ways but if there is no God then there's no there's no point of reference for normal even I mean you just really get uh, way off kilter when you oh, yeah. remove yeah. God from from uh, society, or there's yeah. just no there's no balance. I mean, there's there's nothing to go off of. Yeah. There's no normal. Yeah, to kind of to kind of I don't want to make it like carnal, but I was talking with somebody and they were they go were go ahead, brother. Yeah, they, <laughs> they were talking that um, they're like, oh, I hate our government. You know, I don't like government and all that kind of stuff. And and they're. They were like, everybody should be able to do what they want, is what they said. And I said, well, if they are able to do what they want, then that person can come into your house and kill you and get away with it mm-hmm. without any repercussions, without anything like that. It, the same thing, you know, with God. You know, if if we don't fear Him, and I don't, you know, I don't necessarily mean like a tremble in your boots kind of fear, but I mean, you will. You'll tremble in your boots at, at the Lord, word, you know. Yeah. Uh, but if we don't have that fear of God, as Brother Seth and Brother Joe both said, you know, 
there's no morality. There's no right and wrong. Everything is admissible. Everything can happen. Nothing can be held back without that fear. Right, right. And on that, you know, if you, um, if everybody can do whatever they want to, and there should be no uh, consequence for that, just remember that the law, according to Romans chapter 13, they are the ministers of God. Yeah. <laughs> they are, yeah, and, uh, and so we do need some of that government stuff that's set up by God. Yeah. Romans 13, unfortunately. I think but, just yeah. to end in a, a positive note, <laughs> yeah. I think I think you, you could go on and on about the wickedness and the carnality and the corruption of our world, um, but there's hope here in verse 5. It says, for God is in the generation of the righteous. Yes. So there is power when we take something that we found, we found truth, we found righteousness, we found hope, we found love in Jesus. And we're taking that, and we're teaching a new generation that. And we're passing that on. Amen. And we're taking that light, and we're giving it to someone else. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's good. Just a couple quick things you said about government, need for government. You know, in Romans 13, it says, And he that resisteth getteth to himself damnation. Yeah. And so there's actually, you know, in America, there's a movement, you know, hashtag resist. <laughs> resist. And I'm like... You receive to yourself damnation, you know what I'm right, saying? Right, right. <laughs> good. And I enjoy, too, in these psalms, the subheadings. Like, Orthodox Jews would think that the subheadings are actually inspired. King James translators kind of took a middle ground, made them smaller than the actual scriptures. But Psalm 14, to the chief musician, and then just a psalm of David, you know, poem of David, mictum of David. That which was considered so powerful to engrave in stone, you know, mictum, and then a prayer of David. I just saw mm. just the subheadings. So yeah, but I appreciate ending on positive business. <laughs> <laughs> Praise yeah. God. Yeah, I was. Uh, if I can add too, you know, ending on a positive note here. You know, it is it is a corrupt world we live in. Obviously, That's not positive. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. But the, you know, the Bible says, um, and I heard it just preached recently. I thought it would fit very well, but. Um, Romans five twenty, second part of that verse: Where sin, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So in our yeah. day and age, there's there's a lot of sin going on, but guess what? A lot of grace. There's a lot of saving going on too. Grace of God. Grace of God. We're here for. Once again, we thank you for listening to this podcast episode, and we want to give a special thanks to Brother Steve Waldron for Thank joining us. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you to all our listeners out there. If you have any kind of feedback, if you have any ideas or any suggestions, please feel free to contact us. There's various methods to do that. And we just hope you've enjoyed this episode, and we hope you join us next week where we go through Matthew 6 through 24 and Psalms 18 through 20. God bless. God bless. God bless. Good night. Well, that's great. You guys are doing awesome here. Thank you for listening. This has been Scripture Unleashed.